You're listening to Minute Condition with Brad Slater, a sports card podcast for the collector by a collector. That's right, we're coming in, coming in hot. Mint Condition Podcast. I am your host, Brad Slater, joining you this week. Got a solid show. Going to be speaking to the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers on Rogers Sportsnet and 630 Chet, Jack Michaels. And one of my favorite people in the hobby on social media. We know him as the coach. Coach Cole Collectibles on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere you see him, you see the stash. He gives us the info. He gets us up to date on everything about the hobby, everything going on, all the news we need to know to keep us collectors safe when it comes to buying cards. So we're going to speak to Brendan on the show today. And yeah, it's been a quiet week. You know, we saw the release of OPG Platinum finally from 2122. I saw a couple breaks. I went in a couple. I had the wings in one. I hit a cider. I was happy, but... Overall, the product looks nice. It looks clean. It's just off-centered. So hopefully uh, that's only the only, you know, the few cases that I've seen at least. But come on, Upper Deck. You're behind with your, you know, putting out of cards and you can't even get them up centered to us. Come on. So, yeah, that was my week. And, you know, continuing to pack. We are moving uh, the first week of July. We get possession of our house next week. So it's very exciting times. And yeah, lots going on in the Slater household, but very happy to be back on with you this week with another episode of Mint Condition. And as we do on every episode, we kick it off with our big guest of the week. And our big guest this week is brought to you by Skyhawk Auctions. You can check them out at skyhawkauctions.highbid.com. That's H-I-B-I-D.com. Joining me now on Mint Condition is the play-by-play voice for the last 12 years of the Edmonton Oilers, Jack Michaels. Uh, Jack, good morning. How are you? Great, and uh, thanks for having me, Brad. Appreciate it. Man, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. You don't know this, but the reason that I I originally got into sports broadcasting way back in the day was Rod Phillips and, you know, guys like Bob Cole calling games. And then when you came along, um, it was instant fall in love, Jack. Uh, the energy that you bring to a game and a broadcast, it could be a Minnesota Wild Tuesday night uh, 1-1 thriller, and you're painting a Picasso, man. And I think that's why Edmonton Oilers fans love you so much, and uh, I'm just so happy to have you on the show, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's been I'm going into my 14th season, and uh, Edmonton Sherwood Park has been a great home for me and my family. So... Excited about, uh, you know, life on and off the ice. I've got a daughter now in her second year of university, and my son uh, will be heading into his last year at Salisbury this year in Sherwood Park. So it's uh, it's been a great, great community to raise a family and couldn't have worked out better from my standpoint. Now, before you uh, planted your roots down in Edmonton, you were up in Alaska before that. Can you kind of compare the cities uh, or the territories at all between Edmonton and Alaska, are there any similarities between the two? There's a ton. I mean, you know, Alaska, you know, oil oil rules the roost in Alaska too. And there's quite a bit of, uh, you know, carryover with companies like Schlumberger. And, you know, there's there's lots of, you know, the, the pipeline and, and the, you know, the oil industry really flows, you know, from Anchorage, Alaska through Edmonton and down to Houston. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. 
and you talk to enough people in the industry, chances are they've been wanted one of three, one of those three spots at some point in their career. Uh, so, you know, a tremendous sense of community as well. Uh, similar climate, similar attitudes in the sense that, you know, if you're here to complain about the weather or something, you know, we can give you directions to the airport, uh, you know, a pride and, uh, and a real sense of a little less so in Anchorage in terms of being born and raised. Cause you know, as you know, Alaska wasn't a state until 1959, but you know, this, this latest generation of Alaskans, a lot have been born and raised there. And it's one of the things I really enjoy about Edmonton as opposed to a city like Calgary is there's no real sense of transient, you know, population. Everyone in Edmonton is from Edmonton. I haven't met a ton of people, you know, actually raised, born and raised in the city limits of Calgary, but in Edmonton, you know, people are from here. Uh, they, they find their way back here. Uh, they raise families here and that's all something you can find in uh, the community in which my kids were born, which was Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, so I think they're very similar. Now, you grew up in uh, Pennsylvania. Where did the sports passion originally begin? And uh, did it come down from your dad? Or, or was it just something that you grew up watching sports? Well, that's exactly where it came from. In fact, my dad taught me to read through the sports pages. And, you know, as a professor of English literature for 40 years, I think he was hoping that, you know, I would graduate from the sports pages to the classics, like the great Gatsby and, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, and that, that, that transition never took place much to his chagrin. Absolutely. My dad kind of, you know, set me up for, as he would later say, I don't know whether I set you up for success, but, uh, you know, he, he definitely inspired that early interest in sports, uh, he was a longtime Yankee fan growing up, and, you know, I kind of grew up with, you know, baseball and football. Western PA football kind of rules rules the community. Everyone's a Steeler fan. I went the other way, unfortunately, much to my everlasting uh, <laughs> sadness as a Cleveland Browns fan. But, uh, you know, absolutely. Uh, going to ball games with my dad, watching sports with my dad, you know, that was the way I connected with him. And, and that was the way, you know, ultimately I, I decided, you know, at an early age, once I recognized that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, that I wanted to pursue a, a career in, in sports and, and find a way to stay in it, uh, despite my limited physical athletic gifts. <laughs> now, you know, Mint Condition is a sports card podcast. I know you did not collect sports cards, but I got to ask, did your... Oh, I did. I, oh, you did? Okay. Kid, I did. Okay, okay. I, I have a ton of baseball cards. I just, you know, unfortunately, you know, looking back on it, I didn't invest the time in putting them all in cases. I had a complete 1987, I think, top set wow. uh, that I didn't keep together. I just kind of interspersed with my other cards. I mean, I've got, I've got quite a few cards. I just couldn't tell you you know, really where the good ones are, what kind of condition they're in, that kind of thing. Now, you so, see, who are your your dad's Yankees? Like, who were some of his favorite players that you grew up watching that, that he kind of oh, uh, instilled mean, in you? We probably could have retired if he had kept his 52 mantle. I mean, I, oh. 
you know, I don't know where those cards ended up. Uh, you know, he had, he had no doubt a, uh, a pretty sizable collection himself. And it's, yeah, it's almost tragic when you think about, you know, what happened to those cards or if they were just tossed away, but yeah, no, he, uh, he was a huge Whitey Ford guy, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, all the usual suspects from those great Yankee teams of the fifties and sixties. So were there any announcers when you were growing up that stuck with you? Uh, I know Mike Lang was a longtime Pittsburgh Penguin voice out there. Is there any, any, any guys that stand out for you? That's the guy, Mike Lang, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's the guy. I mean, he was, he was our version of Rod Phillips, you know, uh, future hall of famer. Uh, you kind of knew his little mannerisms, his expressions, uh, for us, they were, you know, just legendary and, and, uh, you know, scratch my back with a hack, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. rusty razor. The thing about him is he could really call a game. And, uh, that's what fascinated me is he had a mastery of the language, that I, that I still think is unparalleled. I mean, he could rattle off, especially in those days, similar to the way the Oilers played. That's how the Penguins played up and down racehorse, you know, often little pretense of defense. They didn't have the goaltending the Oilers did, uh, but they had, you know, tremendous firepower. And, you know, it was, for me, once the Oilers kind of traded Gretzky, I, I thought Pittsburgh was the most entertaining in the league entertaining team in the league for the next 10 years. And, you know, Mike Lang was the voice of that. And he could rattle off 10 minutes of uninterrupted play-by-play without so much as a hint of a stumble. Now, did you ever have a chance to ask him about the mannerisms or the expressions that he says? Where does where did he get them from? And I know, obviously, Elvis left the building, but any any inkling to why he does those? Oh, yeah. He, you know, he, he would write things down in the seventies when he was first getting started. And, um, yeah, no, Mike is, uh, Mike is a tremendous guy, much like Rod is, you know, those guys that were around what I found in the NHL, you know, the, the longer a guy is in the league, the more secure he is in himself. And, you know, Bob Miller of LA, Chuck Hayton in Carolina, those were my favorites when I first broke into the league. They were very nice people. Always willing to talk to you for, you know, 20, 30 minutes before a game and tell you stories. I mean, I always gravitated to the older guys when I was a younger guy in this league. And I just found all of them so generous with their time. And, and Rod, you know, people in Edmonton should know, I mean, you know, especially this generation, they know him as a Hall of Famer and a legendary broadcaster. He was, you know, I mean, he still is terrific person too. Like very funny. Um, you know, once you get to know him, uh, really can spin a tale of his own. And I, I, I like that era of guys. I like that era of broadcasters who are more than willing to kind of tell you the way it was. I think, uh, you know, that's very important in any industry to kind of pass on down. Now, I did some homework having you on, Jack, and I found something out I did not know about, and I just want to ask you briefly about it. Can you go over the uh, time you auditioned and applied for the WWE? Yeah, that was an interesting point. I I was in my first year in Alaska, and I wasn't really sure I wanted to stay there. I was only a couple months in, and 
you know, it's kind of a case where I don't think I, I had both feet in just yet. I was kind of seeing how this was going to go. And, uh, so when the world wrestling, I think they were world wrestling Federation at that point, when the WWF called me, I said, sure, you know, I've got it. I've got a little time here before the season. Um, you know, let's, you know, and I also recognized, Hey, you know, free trip to New York city, basically. I mean, they took yeah. me up to Stanford, etiquette, but that's right outside the city. So, you know, it was a chance to see my college buddies and yeah, it was, a, it was, you know, highly entertaining, uh, you know, an interesting audition to say the least. Uh, I just, at the end of the day, when I got the offer, I just was like, you know, it wasn't a ton of money and it was a defined six month period. So I had no guarantees beyond the six months. Yeah. And I just decided, you know what? I haven't, I don't know enough about the Alaska situation to say this would be better. And I was also concerned if I veered off into the wrestling situation, would I get typecast? And would anyone bring me back to mainstream sports, you know, having been a wrestling commentator? This is before, you know, Coachman yeah. went back and forth between wrestling and ESPN. So there was a bit of a stick uh, that I was worried about as well. And you know what? It, it ultimately falls under the category of sometimes the best moves you make are the ones you don't. No, that's true. Do you remember anyone that you met during that interview? Were there any names of uh, any like people that we, we would know today from wrestling that you actually ran into or, or dealt with or talked to uh, during that time? Well, well, yeah. I mean, uh, my, my in-ring interview was with uh, Chris Benoit. Oh, okay. So there's kind of a, you know, a tinge of tragedy there, obviously. This was about five years before, you know, what happened with him and his family happened. Yeah. And so that was kind of chilling when I saw that news, you know, five or six years after the fact, whatever it was. But yeah, that would be the one guy that I remember because I, I had stopped following wrestling by that point. I mean, I was in my mid-20s and really hadn't followed it since I was 14 or 15. So okay. I just, you know, as a hockey announcer, I knew enough to just say, hey, it's Benoit, right? You know, I just I just was, I, I remember verifying his name because I, you know, obviously he didn't want to mispronounce a name during my audition. No, so no. I, I didn't really know, you know, the magnitude of his stardom at that point. And he was, you know, very close to the peak of his career at that point. But, uh, you know, obviously it stuck with me after the fact uh, when I heard about the terrible news. I'm jumping to hockey now, Jack, because I got to ask you this question. Now, you've had the pleasure of watching Connor McDavid uh, these last eight, nine years play and every other NHL player in the league. If you could give Connor any two line mates that aren't the Oilers roster, who would you give Connor for his two line mates? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. Um, you immediately think of, you know, the top goal scorers. I mean, you know, what would an Austin Matthews or even an Alex Ovechkin at this at this age or a Steven Samkos at this age, you know, what would they score with, with Connor on his line? Um, 
So I look for one in that category. And then, you know, I mean, for me, I think, you know, whether it's Evander Kane at full strength or Zach Hyman at full strength, you know, that's the kind of guy you want with Connor. You want a little, you want a little grit. You want a little muscle on the other way. So, you know, again, I mean, when he's playing with Dreisaitl and, and Kane, you know, again, if you were drafting up in an all-star team, it'd be hard to do better than those two. I mean, look, I, I think McDavid and Dreisaitl should play a part. But together, they're the most dangerous combination in the league, bar none. So, you know, in a perfect world, I just think Edmonton's ultimately better uh, when they're on separate lines. So, I mean, for me, Kane and Dreisaitl are are really close in terms of, you know, the ideal line mate uh, for Connor McDavid. Both skate well enough. Uh, you know, Dreisaitl has vision to match Connors and a great shot. And Evander Kane provides all the protection you need and the finish. I think he was significantly hampered yeah. by wrist injury. And I think a full off season of rest and rehab, you know, I think you're, I, I think it's still best goal production years are ahead of him rather than behind him. No, that's an excellent point. Now, hall of fame voice of the Calgary flames, Peter Marr. I know he loved to see Rod Stewart, any chance he could get when he was on the road. Is there a concert or a band that you will try your most to see? if they're in town when you're on the road with the Oilers? Uh, you know what? I mean, that's something that's kind of fading. You know, we don't have a lot of, you know, live music anymore. We don't, you know, in other words, most of the bands that still tour from my year, you know, from, yeah. you know, I, I went to Commonwealth and saw the, you know, saw the Joan Jett and Poison and Def Leppard and Motley Crue. Def Leppard was the best of the four, by the way, uh, you know, I, I, that's something that we're, we're really losing. Um, there's not a lot of concerts that get me excited anymore. I'm not a country guy, unfortunately for me, especially living in this part of the world. So neither am I, you know, I don't get that, yeah, I don't get excited for Luke Combs and no. you know, it's just not my jam. Um, Will you go see you know, Nickelback this Saturday? Will you go see Nickelback if they were like, hey, Jack, we got a couple of seats to go see Nickelback? Because I would. I'm not afraid to say well, I like Nickelback. I, funny you said that. I was offered a couple of seats, but I already had dinner plans. Okay. And oh, that's fine. I wasn't going to break them because uh, I didn't want to be awkward about it. Um, but no, that wouldn't be a huge draw for me. Uh, you know, I... Is there anyone like that I, could come through town that you'd be like, whoa, okay, I'm going? Well, I mean, again, I think... Like if Mick came through, the Stones came through one last time and played Commonwealth, Rolling Stones, would you uh, get yourself a ticket? Yeah, I'd probably go there. I, I, you know, I, I, I had reservations and ultimately was out of town when Guns N' Roses came through oh. because, again... You know, it's sometimes painful to see maybe you're a little past their prime. I mean, I yep. I just don't think Vince Neil has it anymore for oh, the voice. Yeah, I, and and I think Axel probably falls in that category as well. And 
You don't want you your know, memory to be the last memory of them to be, you know, a, a not a very good performance show where you've seen them or heard them in the past and you don't want that to be the image you remember, right? Exactly. So that, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, I, for me, Axel Rose, like, in an abbreviated tenure, probably six years, I mean, for me, he was the best front man ever. Right up, you know, right up there alongside Mick Jagger. But, you know, he just couldn't keep either himself or the band or both together. And, you know, all those years, the seven or eight years he still would have been in his prime, they totally squandered. So, you know, the, the short answer is I, I don't think there is right now. I don't think there's a must-see. Uh, I saw Phil Collins at, uh, nice. at the Garden in Boston a few years ago. That was fun. Uh, he's still... You know, he couldn't, I mean, he's not, he's never been much of an exciting concert performer, but he's still got the voice. So that was good. Songs for my youth. But no, if, there, if there's a must-see, unfortunately, a lot of the guys that I really like, you know, I I just, you know, Chris Cornell's no longer with us. Yep. Wayne Staley's no longer with us. My favorite band. Wayland is no longer with us. And, you know, for me, Pearl Jam, after their first two albums, maybe a little of Vitology, I, I just kind of felt like I didn't really care for them anymore. So so I, I think the short answer is no. There's no one I have to see, but if there's good music around that I'm in town, or for that matter, any other, you know, sporting event, I don't, uh, I don't sit in my hotel room. I usually get out and see the city. Speaking with Jack Michaels, play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers. Jack, thank you for your time. I got a couple last questions for you. This one was sent in from Regan. He wants to know what play over the last few seasons sticks out in your mind that you get really excited about or that, you know, drew you out of your seat? Well, I think the Connor McDavid goal against the Rangers is part of that dramatic comeback when they retired Kevin Lowe's jersey. Uh, and that and the overtime winner against Calgary. I mean, I would, I would tell you that you know, that goal for me, you know, is the biggest goal for the Edmonton Oilers since probably Pisani? the Tekken and the Tekken and OT winner. Oh, okay. Now I say Pisani because they lost the series. No, nope, good point. They lost the series. I mean, it extended the series by two games. It gave Edmonton one last hurrah, you know, the four nothing shutout at home in game six, but they lost the series. I mean, for me, that goal, McDavid's goal against Calgary, is on a par with Heakinen's Game 7 OT winner in 91 and Gretzky's Game 2 OT winner in Calgary in 88. What about I think those are the, I think those are the three biggest goals scored by an Oiler since, uh, well... I'll argue got Todd Peter Marchant. Quick. Can I argue Todd Marchant? Because that meant so much yeah, to the city at the time. Yeah, I think I think Todd Marchant in 97. Yeah, and, and he got clean in 90. Yep. I mean, all I'm saying is that McDavid goal against Calgary, for me, is in the top 10 of all time for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, you got Kevin McClellan. You got Gretzky. You got Tekinen. You got Klima. You got Marchant. You got Pisani. Yep. So what is that, about seven or eight? Yep. I, I mean, right off the top, you got Anderson against Philly in 87 from the blue line. So that's nine. 
I mean, honestly. Mark Lamb, I, I 1990, think, coming back against the Jets, down 3-1 in the first round. That one stands yeah, up for me, the little breakaway goal, goal where he put it. No, 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 no. Brad, you're getting off. You're getting off base. You can't call a goal scored against Winnipeg as a big goal. But they Come were on. down three one in the series, and that goal turned it around. They came back. They won the series, and they won the cup. That's the only reason I yeah, said it. Yeah, no, that's not sorry. You're that's too much of <laughs> too much of a. Uh, all right, uh, all right, all right. Yeah, I, I think I think McDavid's goal. Uh, you know those. So in other words, breathtaking McDavid's goal against the Rangers. Uh, important all time. Uh, the McDavid goal against Calgary probably puts that goal is nestled right up against the top five all time in the history of the Oilers. Okay, and um, Casey sent in a quick question. He wanted to know what's the biggest transition for you this past season, the season before, going from TV, then radio, then back to TV, then to radio during the season. Is it that difficult as a play-by-play broadcaster? Not really. In fact, I think it helps keep me sharp on both because you're very cognizant of the fact that you're on two different mediums that you've got to serve your respective audiences in a certain way i think it i think it's helped my focus significantly i think it's made me a better broadcaster and we're going to do uh 10 sec- 10 questions uh, rapid fire here with you uh best airport to fly in and out of you're asking me my favorite city in the entire league yeah well it's hard to top new york city would Chicago go for uh, best pizza? No, I'm not a deep dish guy at all. That's New York again. Okay, and your favorite restaurant on the road? Any city? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'd probably go True Lux in Dallas. Okay, best non-Oiler player you broadcasted? Another very tough question. Put you on the spot, I'm sorry. I think it's probably got to be Sid. Okay, no, that's good. And uh, which arena has the best broadcast vantage point? I like L.A. Uh, I'd probably say I'd probably say L.A. Okay, and the loudest crowd, would you say Edmonton? 100%. Okay, and what's one item you've lost on a road trip? Headphones. Oh, and that leads to my next one. What's on Jack Michaels' playlist? Uh, you know, a, a lot, a fair amount of, you know, a fair amount of GNR and hard rock for the late 1980s. And early '90s, like I like my Stone Temple Pilots, I like my Alice in Chains, I like my Soundgarden. Uh, you know, playlists that you wouldn't necessarily expect from me. Uh, I'll never change a station if an ABBA song is on. Really, ABBA fan? Hey, all right, I like that. I like that. And what is your favorite movie or go-to TV show on a flight? Uh, I don't watch, you know, I, I read a lot on flights. I don't watch a ton of movies on flights for whatever reason. Uh, but if you're asking me my favorite movie of all time, I'm a Godfather guy. Godfather. That's another classic, classic, classic. I'm going to leave you with this, Jack. When you first came to Edmonton, you said this. You don't replace a guy like that, referring to Rod Phillips. You just come in, you do your thing, and hopefully they come to appreciate you. I'd say over the last 12 years, Jack, this city has come to appreciate you and love you, man. So thank you so much for doing this today, and keep up the good work. And uh, I'm going through withdrawal because I think we got, what, 100 days to go? You bet. Don't shortchange me, though. It's been 13. 13, sorry. 13. Lucky 13. Let's hope it's a lucky 14 this season. Thanks again, Jack. You appreciate it, man. You take care. See you, Brad. Visit us at mycardsaremint.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at MyCardsAreMint. Okay, we're back here on Mint Condition, and joining me now is, I think, one of the most influential people on social media. I found this gentleman a couple years ago, and I look forward to seeing his posts every morning on TikTok when I get up. I know him as Brendan, but we know him as the coach, Coach Co. Collectibles on TikTok. Good morning, Brendan. How are you, buddy? Good morning, man. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? That was good, man. I really took a mouthful to spit all that out, but I have to say um, the things you're doing right now in and for the hobby are second to none. So on behalf of all the uh, collectors out there, man, thanks for giving us all the info, everything to look out for when it comes to the hobby and just kind of being that protective layer, um, getting us aware of everything that's going on, man. I really appreciate that, man. So when did the sports card you know, bug get into you? Uh, was it an early age when you first were ripping cards? Was it later on in life when you found them? Uh, when did you get your passion? Yeah, of course. So this is uh, not an easy story. And as I'm sure most collectors, like not like a condensed story. But so my card bug actually started with like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Okay. Um, so I actually started playing like, Game Boy Color <laughs> Pokemon. Yep. We got like Pokemon Yellow, Pokemon Red. I had every single Pokemon known to mankind. And that essentially resulted in me collecting a ton of Pokemon cards. Now, as I got older, this was probably like eight or nine. As I got older, I got into, you know, things that were not not so kiddy. Because at the time, uh, in little did I know that Pokemon would be so popular now it's no longer for for kids i hope you have them i guess still. it's still for kids but no i wish i wish everyone uh, i started getting into Yu-Gi-Oh, and then eventually transitioned into magic cards now somewhere in between there um my parents are portuguese i'm portuguese i'm born in canada but my like entire family lineage is portuguese and so because of that i've like a, i've strong roots to soccer and actually played soccer most of my life okay and so every world cup and euro cup we would, my friends, we all kind of grew up in the same like Portuguese, Italian neighborhood. We'd all go to the corner store. We'd get one of those books, the like the Panini sticker books. Yep. And we would fill them out for the World Cup and the Euro Cup. So my first sports card relating collecting experience or sports in general collecting experience was soccer stickers. And it was every two years, the Euro Cup and the World Cup, we, I, we'd fill out those books and we would trade amongst each other. There was like a, by my grandmother's house, there was, it was called uh, the Galleria Mall. Now it's condo buildings. Uh, as, as with a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot yeah. of places in, in, in Toronto. But uh, it was every Saturday they had vendors. Um, and it was like pretty much the same vendor set up. And, you know, I'd go there and just try to buy duplicate stickers that they had in, in hopes of filling out the books from whichever ones I, I couldn't get from packs. You know, at some point you get, let's say maybe 20 or 30 or 50 remaining stickers out of a 250 sticker set. I mean, it, it's almost not feasible to be buying packs anymore. Like at that point you just buy the stickers individually, even if they cost a dollar, dollar 25, two bucks, you finish the book. Uh, so that's what my collecting was. Eventually it transitioned into Tim Hortons, uh, the dollar packs, and yep. McDonald's dollar packs. Yep. And again, like I'd get the book, I'd fill out the whole book. So my experience when it comes to collecting, especially from an early age, was always like like low floor and uh, the book, like filling out an entire collection, filling out a book, filling out a binder. 
uh, and completing sets. So today, is that a thing that's carried on with you, completing sets? Like, I, I know I started just like you with the NHL Panini sticker books. I can still picture them. I still have them somewhere. But is that something that because you went for the set as a kid and you, you completed them, is that something that you like to strive for now, current day, when you're collecting, completing sets? So, so uh, it's funny. I have one – actually, there's a few sets that I'm looking to complete, and I'm actively looking for stuff. And that, that, I find that that keeps me uh, humble, if that makes sense. Yep. Like, it keeps me going through dollar boxes. It keeps me talking to dealers about, you know, maybe cards that aren't that expensive. Because the sets I'm completing, like, they're not really – crazy expensive sets like I'll, I'll let you know right now that one of them is the 2005 2006 upper deck young guns yep uh, my goal is to complete the entire set and, and to grade them out and so like that process is going to take me quite some time and i could probably finish it in the next six months but I'm, I'm actively like i want each each one that i acquire to like have a story i want to source them myself i don't want it to be like this cold ebay experience or you know like a bulk buy or, like i just i really kind of i want it to be uh there's like an intangible story there see now you're gonna have to uh, give me the list of the ones you have remaining and yeah, then if yeah, i have yeah. one i'll Appreciate give you it. one and then there's it. a story behind it there you go yeah yeah that'd be awesome that'd be awesome and i mean there's like random guys in there right like yeah and yeah uh, I, I don't know if yeah Denis is mark Denis, one or the other uh you know, Columbus like blue jacket goalie we see blue jackets goalie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 koi steetins like there's just there's so many and, and that kind of brings me back to a time where, like, I was probably most involved in hockey. Uh, I was, like, probably watching the most amount of hockey. I was playing NHL on, on Xbox at the time. Uh, I, I, I could recite every single player's stats from the previous season. So, you know, during during this collecting, at least in, in this specific set, it's, it's really kind of brought me back to a time where I was most passionate about it. And so whenever I kind of get sidetracked or I'm like, ah, the price of, you know, wax is significantly higher or like there's mass printing going on or any of these things that you know, a lot of people are afraid of. And, and you know, sometimes re- like it's reasonable. I, I just, I have this ability to kind of pull away from all of this, this noise that's happening right now and, and go back to something that I, I, I know I'm going to be happy with once it's completed. No, that's definitely uh, a great thing. And I'm finding that a lot of people that I'm talking to did take, you know, breaks in collecting in their life. And I know out of high school and and junior high, I don't know if you were collecting too much, but was there a break in your life that you were collecting? And then what eventually brought you back into the game? Yeah. So, you know, as with most people, when they get busy, uh, you know, collecting kind of takes the backseat. And for those of you who manage to continue collecting for, you know, a decade, two, two decades, three decades straight. Like I, I commend you and I, I, I wish I could, I could be you yeah. because the stuff that I probably would have acquired over the course of like 10, 20, 30 years would have been absolutely bananas as it rolled over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, my first job was probably 16 and uh, I left my uh, home early. Uh, and I would say it was pretty much either on my own or, or, fairly assisted in some way, shape, or form from 17, 18 onwards. And uh, so because of that, it was like basically all work. And uh, I found myself going into COVID very much just feeling like a part of the rat race. It was all, you know, go to work, collect your paycheck, pay your bills. Like, yes, you go out here and there. But I I just found that there wasn't really 
ton of luster. Uh, there was, I did not really have hobbies. And then the pandemic happened and uh, I got laid off from my job uh, where I worked for eight years. And, you know, I, fi- I kind of found myself feeling pretty lost. And after a few weeks of that, I was like, okay, let's, let's look at this from a different perspective here. Right now you have the opportunity to do whatever you want. You can be yeah. chef, you can be a painter, you can, uh, you can be a dog groomer. You can literally do whatever you want in this moment. Like, what are you going to choose? And so I just started kind of backtracking and seeing, okay, well, let's remember like times in my life where I was the happiest or I had the, the least amount of cares or whatever the case may be. And I, I, I found my way back to collecting. And, uh, I, you know, I haven't really looked back since. And it's funny because, you know, we talk about, you, you mentioned, you know, how I, my content and, and I mean, none of that really existed before that for me anyway. And, and a lot of my content creation, especially early content creation was just asking questions Yeah. because I wanted to know the answers to things that people were, I mean, seemingly everyone knew, but at the same time, there was a huge sect of people who didn't know. And I'll give you an example. I was like, well, why is it that a BGS 9.5, the True Gem, True Gem Plus maybe, why is it that there's such a big price discrepancy between that and the PSA 10? And I'm like, they're both gem mint grades. Like, I'm talking about like very early like conversations I would have yep. in terms of my content. And some of the answers were like, well, that's just how it is. And I'm like, okay, well, let's like dive. Like, and I would ask the audience, I'd be like, well, like, does this make sense to you that they're both the same grade? And there's you know, maybe a 2X premium on one grid, one company versus the other. And then I started getting into like a history of it. And, you know, five years back, BGS was the preferred grading company for most cards. And and I started asking questions like, well, how did this happen? And, and so I, essentially a lot of my hobby knowledge came from just asking questions. And with every question I, question I asked, you know, there'd be a response and then I'd, I'd, I'd have a direction to take that response in. And so I kind of created this like little hyperbolic time chamber where I was able to, to absorb like decades of hobby history in such a short period of time. And, and I really, during that process, made me fall in love even more with the space. Just see like how far we've come. Do you remember the product you opened when you kind of got back into it? Was there was it one item, one thing that you were just, you know, walking around Walmart, let's say, or, or somewhere or at a card shop, and you were just like, hey, or was it Pokemon again? Like, what was the item that you opened um, that got the fire going again? So, this is also a funny story. So, it was 2019 Bowman Platinum. At the time, it was impossible to get any sort of product in, in Toronto. Uh, Canada in general had a, a bit of an issue uh, when like printing stopped and, and COVID happened in general. So you're going for Vlad. Um, yeah, I was going for Vladdy. I You know, I actually didn't even really know what I was going for at that point, man. I just wanted to buy, I just wanted to rip cards. I thought it was so exciting. I'm like, I want to rip cards. And you asked me like, what got me back into it? Me opening that box, I absolutely skunked. I think I paid 50 bucks for, for like a <laughs> hanger. And I absolutely skunked. And I hated the feeling. I yeah. couldn't stand that feeling. I was like, I can't believe I just spent 50 bucks. Like, yeah, it was a great experience. I was like, okay, this is shiny, this is shiny. I started looking up comps. I was like, nothing here is worth literally anything. There's no one here that I'm excited about. I was like, why did I do that? And so I was like, okay, I like the, I like the collecting elements. 
I like being able to forecast and prospect. I mean, one of the things I love about fantasy is that I, I pride myself on like every year, like my sleeper pick. So mm-hmm. That's kind of like how I collect as well. So I try not to go for the people that everyone are talking about. I try to find like areas of opportunity, like the diamonds in the rough. Desmond Ritter. Uh, that, yeah, that's yeah. My you're, guy. you're on. You're on. The, you're on the Desmond Ritter train, eh? A little bit, yeah. But yeah, yeah I hear what you're saying there. I like that too. Yeah, and so because I stunk so bad, I I barely open product. I'm done. Like I'm finished. I, I I just realized that I like knowing exactly what I'm acquiring. You know, uh, oftentimes okay. the the actual the card that you're looking for, even if it's let's say a Desmond Ritter like Prism Gold to ten. Okay. Like we're talking about what a two thousand dollar card maybe. Yep. The box is like eight hundred bucks. So like you're telling me for two and a half times the cost of one box where I'm gambling on the contents of it. Yeah. I can just buy the cards that I want. And I just realized that I'm like, this is, this is how I want it. This is how I want to collect. I want to collect on my terms. I want to know exactly what I'm acquiring. Um, and versus like the, the, the gambling element. See, I, I'm, I'm the same way with you now, but before you just talked about when you open that platinum and just that feeling of getting skunked. Now the opposite yeah. If someone could bottle the feeling you have when you're in a break or you open a pack or a box and there's a hit, a case hit, or something significant uh, that blows your mind, that feeling, that rush you have where you're yelling up the stairs at your significant other, big hit, big hit. Like it, that, that yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. It, you know, it's fun there too, right? Yeah. It just no, doesn't, sure. happen. I, I, it doesn't I mean, happen very often. <laughs> very often, right? Like, and I, and, and I get. I mean, of course, I understand like why it's fun, right? Like, I, I, it's not like I've never been to a casino before. It's not like I've never <laughs> made like a semi-irresponsible decision in my life. Like, of course, I have. The generals I'm are just like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would just prefer to know exactly. Like, I, I want to be on my terms. You know what I mean? No, I hear you. I hear you. I hear. You. I'm speaking yeah. with Brendan. You know him as Coach Co Collectibles. He is the host of the Cardboard Coaches podcast on Spotify. Check them out. Great episode this past week talking about Drew Jones, and I wanted to touch on the whole bounty gate here. What are you a fan of yeah. it? And I know Dave and Adams has the the Lord of the Rings uh, Magic the Gathering. I believe comes out today. They have the one of one card you were talking about this week too on on TikTok worth a I think a yeah. million dollar bounty. Do yep. you think it's good for the hobby? And do you think someone will do a bounty on the young gun one of one for Connor Bedard? Great question. So I'm also going to plug. So, I mean, thank you so much for plugging the cardboard coaches. And I would appreciate it. If you guys check it out on the next episode of the cardboard coaches. We actually talk about the bounties and the excessive. Bounties. Oh, wonderful. So that'll transition. Yeah. Yeah. So this will transition into, into what I'm talking about right now is I, it's very interesting that now all of a sudden, you know, we had, uh, we've gone through different stages of the hobby, and we're definitely in the bounty stage. Uh, whereas before, I think a lot of people were impressed by big hits. You could flaunt, uh, you know, an out of 10 prism or a one of one black or something of that nature and get a ton of traction. Well, now people don't care too much. No. Now, now you're starting to see that even when those cards hit auction, and they, we would wait and we would anticipate you know, what is this card going to sell for? And it goes to auction and sometimes it would exceed that price. We're not in that, that, that space anymore. I, I don't think that, you know, it's almost like the, uh, the minute the card is pulled, it's never going to be more valuable than, than it comes out of the pack. Um, and as a result of that, you're starting to see companies get more creative like Dave and Adams. And in order to sell products, they're putting bounties on specific cards. 
Um, how do I feel about this? I mean, I think it's cool that it gives everyone an opportunity to, I mean, essentially win a lottery while also, you know, doing something they would otherwise. Like the person who pulled the one of one bounty, or no, sorry, the person who pulled the one of one super fracture autograph from Drew Jones. Uh, the story goes is, is a, it's an older gentleman and he's been collecting with his family for I mean, decades. And it's just something that they do. They just like every time the new Bowman comes out, they'll buy a box and they, they rip either together or, you know, one rips one, the other one rips the other one. And they, they, they meet and they talk about the contents of those boxes. Did he and know so what he, he actually had no idea. Oh, he no. Didn't. So he, he had no idea that there was a bounty. He didn't know what a super fracture was. Wow. He, he, they were just opening product and, and that's, do you know where he, he opened up, it? You know, with, Do you know where he opened it? In Ohio, Ohio. I, I'm not sure what the shop was. Is called. it true? It was a car rip? Did you hear that? It was a car rip. It was a car wow. rip. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was a car rip. What's your fame? Before pause here. What's your? Do yeah. you, have, you have any famous car rips? I got one. I got one. No, I got no, no famous car rips, man. Okay, we're going back to COVID. Yeah. I was I went to a Walmart. There was a hanger. It was the Topps 2020 Series One. Mike nice. Trout on the cover. Hanger box it was opened. Yeah. Ripped at the top wall. I'm a degenerate. I need to open something. So I buy it. I go to the parking lot. I open it. One of those golden tickets to the Vegas whatever show. And I sold it to Blowout Cards. The owner, I think his name is Fish. I sold it to him in 24 hours and uh, purulated it out to him because COVID was going on. And I wasn't sure it was ever going to even happen. And it eventually happened yeah. a year later. And there were some good guests. But I was yeah. uh, I was taken care of uh, nicely for that card. But man, really? man car rips, man. That's awesome. Six sixty five hundred US overnight for one Oof. golden ticket, and I took That's pictures not bad, of it. Man. So I still got it, and it is my biggest, yeah. my biggest retail opening. My biggest, my I guess it's my biggest ever. I don't think I've opened anything else, even not retail. But yeah, it just goes to show, buy the last box on the shelf, right? Yeah, exactly. You never know what could be inside. Life's like a box of chocolates, right? <sighs> you never know. So going back to the the guy that got the the, the Jones card, so he didn't yep. he didn't know he didn't know Drew. Do you no know what idea? He, what did he do next? You know, I think he called his son and he was just like, like all right, he came home. Or I'm not sure how the story goes, but at some point he found out that this card was worth a considerable amount of money, and then I guess they made a, they made a decision together what they were going to do. And I, I just find it funny. The one thing that I, the biggest knock for me in terms of like these bounties is. They always advertise a million dollars, but like, but well, they're not going to pay them. No. It's like, let's get real here. Like, in the in the case of the super fracture, the only way that they were going to pay out that million is if Drew Jones became a hall of first ballot. Well, I don't know if it was first ballot, but a hall of famer as a position player. So you're talking about waiting what eighteen to twenty years? Yep. Before if- that thing comes to fruition, like no one's when no one in their right mind is going to hold out that long, right? Especially because there's so much uncertainty when it comes to these prospects. And even in the case of the Magic the Gathering one, there's a million dollar bounty on it, yes, but it's only it only applies until like July 13th, I think. So yeah. they've given people, I think, three weeks to rip uh, to their you know to their heart's content, and then after that, it's off the board. Now that being said, I'm sure that like Post Malone or someone else who's a relatively big in the Magic yeah. community. I mean, we've seen we've seen Marsh uh, come out. And uh, offer a considerable bounty as well, so I'm sure someone will come out of the woodwork and and either match that or top it uh, when it comes to the million dollar one of one, the one ring bounty. But uh, yeah, I, I I can't. There's there's very little downside in my opinion for these bounties. I mean, they sell stuff. People buy. Uh, 
at the very least, someone who normally would have would have bought has the opportunity to pull something pretty significant and and essentially become a millionaire off cards, which is probably the dream, isn't it? But you personally, if if someone came out and did it for Connor in the in the fall or the spring for Upper Deck for the Young Gun one of one, yeah. would it entice you to to open your wallet and your your checkbook a little more to get more product, or would you just buy as you would originally yeah. normally? Yeah, it's the same game plan, man. I'm yeah. not. Uh, I'm just not going to deviate. I, I do think there's going to be a considerable bounty on Connor McDavid. I wouldn't or Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard. I wouldn't be surprised if the one of one got at least a hundred hundred thousand. Um, in I terms just, of like a, like a outright yeah. bounty. I, I think it's cool that just upper deck is changing a little bit. I I saw with the OPG platinum that came out this week. Uh, you were speaking about it too. Uh, a lot of it's been mm-hmm. off centered, but it's a beautiful product. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know if I'm a fan of the twelve and the twelve packs and just increasing pack size. I don't know. It just, you know, it, feel, it felt different when you're opening it too, but I guess everyone will get used to it. I know Upper Deck's introducing it in the fall as well again. And, yeah. you know, the putting more enticement into the product with the one-of-ones I think will be good. Do you have... Well, uh, they're, they're giving several serial numbers. Like, they're, they're expanding the serial number set in general. Oh, like there, okay. There's going to be more serial numbered young guns now than ever. There's yeah. gonna, they're also doing a deluxe number to 250. They're sticking with the high gloss, the exclusive. So there's going to be... It's like a Bowman now. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm. I mean, they realize that there's there's a lot of uh, opportunity for you know maybe not one bounty but multiple bounties, right? Like maybe not like from a yeah. Obviously, the one on one's going to garner the most, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if like smaller collectors offer you know certain bounties for let's say a high gloss or or a, a, an exclusive or a deluxe number to two fifty. Can uh, you think of any two athletes? Because I can't that have had their value drop more than Ja Morant and Zion Williamson in the last six months. Lamelo Ball's got to be up there too. Oh, sorry, yeah. Like Lamelo Ball was like peak, peak, right? Like I literally, I I saw a video this morning and I I reposted a reaction where uh, his jersey numbered National Treasures, so two of three, it was a authentic grade with a ten auto, sold for I think it was a hundred and twenty six thousand dollars. Holy and then a year later, sold for I think it was thirteen thousand. So the difference was like a hundred and nineteen thousand dollar difference in one year. Man. I mean that is outrageous, you know. Like, and if you think about it, I mean Lamelo Ball was like you know everyone self said he was the goat, going to be the goat, yeah. playing for M- MJ's team. MJ's going to market him, and there were all these reasons to love Lamelo Ball. You had a Levar Ball, you know, huge marketing team behind the ball, the Ball brothers in general. And a very flashy point guard, and then he got injured, and you know, Hornets suck. <laughs> and uh, you know, here we are. No disrespect to any Hornets fan, nah, but uh, the one yeah, that's you listening. know, like not. Yeah, exactly. And so here we are, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, John Morant and uh, Zion. I, again, I throw Lamelo in there as well. Uh, Mac Jones is another one who oh. just, I mean, absolutely tanked. I mean, most of the guys that were big during the pandemic, right? Like, and I've seen a lot of people talk about, you know, are we back to pre-pandemic times? And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't know the answer to that question because I wasn't, you know, a huge participant during the pre-pandemic times. But certainly if you look at the way that things have kind of tapered off, things seem a little bit more reasonable. Aside from, I think, the initial cost of opening wax uh, and the initial hype of a player once the product is open, I think things kind of stabilize 
quite quickly uh, in, in today's market. What do you say to people? Because I'm one of them that I can't stand it. Like the product comes out today. I'm on eBay looking and buying that card now for $100 when I know very well in two weeks time. You're that person? It's going to be 20 bucks. I'm that person. And like, no, you're not. I can't, I can't get by it. And like, sometimes I'll be like, okay, okay. And then I have like, you know, 90 items in my watch card. And then I'll click on the item and I'll be like, 17 other people are watching this item. Well, I can't let those sons of bitches get it. So I'm buying it. And then I look at the shipping and it's coming from the States and it's $32. Yeah. And I'm like, Dad. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And it, takes three, and it takes three weeks to get here. Exactly. And then I get the yeah. uh, uh, invoice for the extra for customs. So then I'm paying another mm-hmm. 20 bucks. And then I log on and I look in the cards, you know, ten ninety nine with three ninety nine Canadian shipping a month later. Yep. What do you say yep. to people out there just to like, you know, to take your foot off the gas a little bit, back off, you know, just just set it in your watch list, go to bed, wake up in the morning, it'll still be there. And if not, you know, there'll be another thousand out there. But it just sometimes the brain takes over, man. <laughs> I just there is almost no scenario where that like those cards increase at least immediately like i know that that, the the biggest the devil on our shoulders like well what if it's more expensive than this even if it does go up again in the short term there are always there's injuries there's off season there are lulls there there's just always something if we look back on i mean even Connor mcdavid he was Everyone called everyone called him the goat when he first came out. And I'm sure his cards were crazy expensive, right? Yep. He got injured during his rookie season, right? So that that actually would have been a buying opportunity. Now, not every player is going to get injured in their rookie season, but even if they have a massive rookie year, the off season happens, and guess what? People they want to 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 realize profits. They want to go on vacation with their their wife or kids or yep. husband. They they want they have bills to pay, like. You have no idea what what happened in a six, nine, or twelve month period, and the the longer you wait, the more people you're waiting out essentially. So my best suggestion is is rather than impulse buying, just kind of wait. And if in six months time you still feel the same way about that player and that card, then jump on it, right? But just give yourself some sort of time frame where you let everyone else react and you're just sitting and waiting. See, I'm going to have like, that moment instance, now. Ellie De La Cruz, right, is another guy right now in, in, in baseball where the guy's absolutely popping off. Yeah. Just got called up. But I would argue this is one of the worst times to buy Ellie. I bought if you look at Julio ago. Rodriguez last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you look at Julio Rodriguez last year, had a fantastic rookie campaign. He's playing good ball now, but his prices, they're nowhere near where they were last year. You know, why is that? He won rookie of the year. That's an accolade. He's having a great year this year or a fairly good campaign so far, right? It's like it's like the hype will never match those prices. And, and, and the way that the, the, the market works right now, it's like there's everyone moves on to the next best thing. So Jackson this is Holiday a guy that you the next think, one. that's what I'm saying, right? So, you know, if this is the guy that you think is going to be a Hall of Famer, be around for a long time, be an all-star, a regular all-star, then then you have time. You have time to accumulate. It doesn't have to be a rush. Because not if he retires next next year, you probably don't want to own this stuff anyway, right? He's not retiring anytime soon. No, you're right. So I would I would encourage people to have that same patience that they have with guys like LeBron, for instance, who 
I mean, he's been around for 20 years. Now people kind of just throw his stuff to the side. And, you know, you see a LeBron James rookie card, a lot of people are like, ah, I don't really want that. I want the next top player. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, just acknowledge that that guy, he, there's like so few of him that will ever exist. Like maybe not his, his card specifically, but like there, there's there's maybe three people, four people, five people that have ever played basketball that could be compared to LeBron James, right? So like, just uh, and and his stuff goes down. So just remember that every, every, what goes up must come down at some point. Before we go here, what are some of the yeah. cards you're going after right now that you're bullish on? I, I went after Jackson Holiday and I went after Ellie De La Cruz before he got called up. Um, is and uh, Henry Davis as well a little bit. But is there anyone out there right now that you're kind of keeping an eye on? Uh, I I think the hockey space in general is like prime for uh, a little bit of a takeoff. I also love collecting hockey, and I would suggest that like people, if you enjoy collecting a sport like that, you're at an advantage versus everybody else. So mm-hmm. stick to that sport and don't buy just because someone else tells you to buy something. Um, so that being said, it makes like it's super easy for me to buy hockey and to buy hockey heavy. Also, with the inclusion of Connor Bedard into the NHL, I think that'll probably bring a lot of eyes that otherwise wouldn't be. Um, and especially a storied franchise like the Chicago Blackhawks. I think there's a lot of elements there. The new one-of-ones that we talked about. Patches. Upper Deck changing some of their product structures. Yeah, all those, those patches, uh, Chicago patches patch are going to be filthy. Five color, six color, you know. It's, uh, but uh, so I think because of that, um, I have, I'm, I'm going pretty, pretty hard on hockey. Okay. Um, specifically, I'm going pretty hard on Cole Caulfield. Okay. Yep. Um, for me, it's a no-brainer. Guy's coming off an injury. Probably could have scored fifty. Uh, Montreal's got to be a little bit better than they were last year. They got a young team, dedicated fans, dedicated collectors. You know, in in an uncertain market, you kind of want to make sure that you have stuff that you know true collectors might want to own. Um, and that's why I think Cole Caulfield for me is a plus. Before you go, I got to talk mustache. How much work daily goes into keeping that duster up because it's beautiful? And how long have you been growing or how long have you had it? Because it's your signature, man. Everyone knows you yeah. by it. Um, as Ken Reed was saying on your podcast, the uh, the Cardboard Coaches podcast on Spotify, he was talking about Rolly Fingers and comparing you to guys, man. But, like, it's beautiful. I appreciate that, man. The upkeep is enough to make me question shaving it on a regular basis so just know that it um (laughs) there's a lot of times where i'm like man today's the day today's the day but i haven't done it yet uh this is actually my second go at this mustache if cole scores if cole scores 50 you shave it no 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 maybe 60 maybe 60 60. okay okay maybe 60 maybe 50 50 is a little loose (laughs) but uh yeah it it's my second go growing this mustache. I grew it at the beginning of the pandemic for about a year. And then uh, I was like, I'm done with this. I'm finished. Got rid of it. Massive outrage. Massive outrage. And uh, then I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm growing it back. So it's probably been about two years now since uh, it's been on my face for the second time. Ice cream on a cone, uh, a gyro, a sub, a donair are all terrible things for me to eat with a beard. So I can only imagine the difficulty you have with that mustache. Brendan, how can oh, people yeah, follow you and stay connected and, and keep in touch with all your great content? Yeah, for sure. So I am Coach Co or Coach Co Collectibles on every single platform. So YouTube, Instagram, 
Facebook, uh, TikTok, specifically TikTok for Coach Go Collectibles. That is where I post uh, most of my sports card related content first and foremost. It's also some exclusive content I post on there on a regular basis. Um, you can reach out to me at Brendan. Or I, I lied. You can reach out to me at coachgocollectibles at gmail.com if you need to send me an email or if you have anything you want to talk about or any, any questions that you I don't know, might have about the industry or just any projects you're working on. And I guess that's uh, Cardboard Coaches also on, on Spotify and YouTube. Check it out. We got to do this again sometime real soon, man. I really yeah, appreciate man. you coming on. I could talk cards with you in sports all day. Brendan, you take care of yourself. Keep putting out that amazing content and keeping us all informed because we follow you for it. I appreciate you, man. Have yourself a wonderful day. Man, that was great. I could talk to Brendan seriously all day long about sports cards. He's just so informative. He does his homework, and he just knows. I don't want to say everything, but he knows everything that I want to know, and he's putting it out there on a daily basis. And as a collector, um, you can't ask for much more than that when it comes to someone you want to follow on social media. So make sure you're following Coach Cole Collectibles on TikTok. I watch his stuff every single day, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy his content just as much as I do. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. What a great program today. We had Jack Michaels. Can't believe he tried out for the WWE. Man, I wonder if that was the same time that like they hired Kevin Kelly and some of those announcers back in the day. I wonder. Again, Brendan, Coach Cole Collectibles, thank you very much, sir, for joining me. You can check out his podcast on Spotify. The Cardboard Coaches. Great guys. Great show. And yeah. As for next week, wow, we are going to talk to CBC analyst, former NHL goaltender, and my good friend Kelly Rudy is going to join the show. Be nice to catch up with Kelly, see what's going on with him this summer. And my other guest next week is Phil Maines. You might not know that name just off the top of your head hearing it, but he is the CFO of the Pat McAfee Show and Pat McAfee Inc., he is a huge component of that group and the deal that got done bringing Pat to ESPN. So we're going to talk to Phil about that, Pat McAfee and the show. And of course, he's a huge Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So we're going to talk some pens next week with Phil. So again, thank you all for listening. If you love the show, if you like what you hear, send me a message. Let me know you like it. Leave me a review on Apple, Spotify, Audible, wherever you can find my podcast. It's out there. And again, I just, you know, thank you. I'm really enjoying this. I'm having a lot of fun. And I really hope you all are enjoying it as well. So again, take care, everybody. Happy sipping. Happy ripping. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.